0: Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word.
1: Good morning, everybody. Wow, look at you. You look great. Did you guys dress up for this? Like, what? hey i, I want, my name's tim by the way um if you're a guest our first first time guest and uh thank you so much for coming out and uh senior pastor here at the church at the vineyard and um hey this baptism thing is just i can't tell you what an important moment that is for you if you have made a decision uh to follow christ it's very important that you uh that you get baptized and and i you know when i uh I'm getting situated here, you know. I have to get my living room set up and uh, everything. But when I came to Christ, uh, I got baptized on Easter Sunday night. And um, I will never forget it, you know. in, in the church that I was going to uh, at that time, uh, you know, some of you know my story, not really being raised in church and all. I was so excited about Christ. And, and uh, it, when I went into that water, I just looking and realizing that there was my old life prior, standing in the water. And then as I went down, I'm realizing that my old life is just getting buried now. Just buried down into the grave. And uh, <laughs> I felt I had a memory just then. It was almost sensory. I just went back. But it went, I went down in the water. And while I was there, though you're only there for a few seconds, they probably should have held me down longer. But uh, there, you know, it's like when you come up, you just feel... You feel and you sense and you get this kind of perspective that yeah, all of that's cleansed and it's it's gone, it's off of me, and now I'm coming up out of the grave, just like the gravestone is rolled away on Easter this morning. The gravestone is back, and I'm coming up out of the grave as well. The old life is buried and dead and gone, and up comes Tim out of the water, and I was so excited, and I didn't get to church, wasn't as excited as I was, because I was like you know, ready to go. So it's a big deal to come out. It's one of the things that the church does, the local church, one of just a few things, like we do communion together and baptism. And baptism is a way to reassure yourself, this beautiful metaphor of what God has done in your life and is doing in your life through a continual cleansing and all. But it's also a way to say to the world, to put that stake in the ground and say, this day I declare I am following Jesus. This is my new life. And so, man, you guys should be streaming out of those doors right now, headed to sign up out there in the lobby. You know, sign up and come out for that uh, Sunday and, and uh, man, we're just going to have a great time. So, hey, it is Easter morning. He is risen. He is risen yes, that's right. And it changes everything. We are closing out our series this morning Uh, As Jay said, uh, from doubting to deciding, and for the last four weeks, uh, I've tried to take us on a journey for questions and uh, try to, as I always say, nail this kind of stake in the ground in a way to, we talked about the historicity of Jesus. Was there uh, a real Jesus? Was there a man named Jesus who lived? Let's settle that first and foremost, that he was... He was a real person that came. And so we talked about that the first week. And you know, I know I don't have to do a lot of work with that because the statistics say that ninety-two percent of Americans believe that Jesus indeed was a real person and he really came about few you millennials, you're a little more skeptical. About eighty-seven percent of you guys. It's still a huge majority. And so having I don't have to do a lot of work. We don't have to to just say, well, there was this this person named Jesus who came and he lived and he was He was killed and he was put in a grave. But there's another section to that. We can, 92, 93% of us can believe that. But the next step is Easter. The next step is the tomb with nobody in it. So you can't stop at the first week where we talked about Jesus. Because the big step is, did he rise from the dead? Because that does indeed change Everything, And since we've been talking about doubts, my kind of thesis or premise for today has been that, you know, the doubts that we have are doubts that we have decided to have. And many times when we doubt things, we don't take time to kind of do an inventory on why, but we've made a decision to make doubts. And so it's my prayer that today uh, you would doubt some of your doubts. And that you would make a decision because as the last four weeks, as we tried to, to lay the groundwork, there is enough evidence to consider Christ. And then today, the resurrection changes everything. And you know, no one, we may think this, but none of us make decisions based on 100% certainty. None of us do. You get in an airplane, you get in this hollow tube, and they sling you across the ocean, and you get in that expecting to get there, right? Yeah. Are you 100% sure? No. You think you are. But see, I watch all these plane crash shows, you know, why, why planes crash. I love them. I just watch them, and, and they don't bother me as far as flying goes, but uh, I just love them. But we, every day we make decisions, and the doubts that we have, we have made a decision to doubt that. And it's my prayer that looking at Christ, looking at the information we have, as well as and this is indeed this mystical part of it, this wooing of God on your heart, this massaging of your heart to pull you toward himself, that you would indeed today make a decision that I'm going to respond to that. I'm going to doubt some of the doubts I've had because they're not valid, and I'm going to make a decision to step forward because I have enough information. So we're going to look at a guy named Paul at first, and then I want to, uh, if you turn your handout over, you'll see. On the back side, there's a fill-in. Then I want to look at three reasons we doubt and three reasons to decide. And so uh, let me pray, and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you so much for Easter. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, thank you for your people who have come out today, friends, family, uh, our guests from out of town. And the Lord, we pray indeed that you would make your presence known. Jesus, help me in my weakness, and uh, pray that what you want us to hear that we would hear. And Lord, I pray for just a, an encounter with you through your word, but also through your presence, that thing that only you can do. And so we give this time to you and we open our ears and our heart. Come and teach us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, over in Acts 17, the scripture will be on the screens, but it's also on the back side of your handout. There is a man named Paul. We talked about him last week as uh, one of the people who... You know, had this pl- this experience in his life where he went from doubting that Jesus was who he said he was to definitely deciding to follow Jesus and give his whole life to him. Paul in the New Testament was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was very well known, huge intellect, and uh, hated Christianity. Hated Christians. Thought they were a threat uh, to his faith. And therefore, he had papers from the priests, from the leaders, that he could go and hunt down Christians, throw them in jail. He was actually there when Stephen, the first uh, martyr of of the new church, as it was getting launched, as Stephen was stoned to death. Paul, this guy, was standing there holding the coats of those stoning Stephen to death in full approval of Stephen being killed, one of the deacons in the early church. And so this same Paul who had doubted the veracity of, the, of Christ's resurrection, is making his way to the next town to do the same thing to the early Christian church when God intercepts him. And Paul has to make a decision. Do I doubt my doubts and make a decision on what I'm experiencing right now and change, or do I continue on? Well, Paul doubted the doubts of the past, and he made a decision to move on. And now Paul is the foremost church planter the super apostle, as they've called him many times. And he is out planting churches. He is out preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone and everywhere that he can. His goal is to, instead of hunting down Christians and annihilating the faith, it is to see the faith grow and to see more people come to Christ. Man, what a change. Never doubt that God can really change a life? Just look at Paul's life. And look what happened. And so in Acts 17, we'll catch up with Paul here. It says, as was his custom. This is what he normally did. Paul went into the synagogue on three Sabbath days and he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now, see, Paul went to the synagogue because that's that was his normal hang. Now, he was a Pharisee. He was a leader that he knew people there. They knew who he was, or at least who he used to be. And so just like some of us, When I became a Christian, I went right back to my homies. I went right back down here to the little house. Some of you who have lived here might remember it. Not the hangout probably you or your kids hung out at, but that's where I hung out. And when I came to know Christ at that surfing contest, the next weekend I turned around and I camped out on the picnic tables right at the little house at the pavilion because that was my synagogue. That was what I was used to. That's who I loved. That's where I was used to being. That was my crew. That was who... I wanted to be with, so I went back there every chance I got to share with them, to tell them about this Christ who had apprehended me up in North Carolina. And so Paul, you know, there's kind of a pattern here. Paul goes to the synagogue. Now, he's not that welcome there now because he's preaching something different. But he goes there because he knows them, and so he's been there for three Saturdays in a row. He's going and, and preaching there at uh, at the synagogue. Uh, On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Reasoned kind of has this feel about it, like we've done for the last four weeks, and that I've done with a few of you. And talking over the last month is we sat down and we've talked about the validity of Jesus. Could it possibly be true? Is there enough evidence? Reason from the scriptures. This is what the scripture says about him. This is what history said about Jesus. And so Paul is reasoning with them in the synagogue. He's taking questions most likely. And he's explaining it says. And proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. There's, there's the key to it. You know, Rise from the dead. He's explaining why Messiah had to come. Why he had to die and why he had to rise from the dead. And uh, it says, this Jesus, here's Paul's words. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of the Jews were persuaded. Some of them believed it and joined Paul and Silas. And that's what I'm going to ask some of you guys in just a little while. And this is a response to what Paul shared in the synagogue. Is People said, hey, I want to know more. I'm going to join you. I believe what I've heard. So now I want to get in. I want to throw my lot in with you guys. And I want to begin to walk this way and to follow Christ this way. And that's what many of them did uh, here in this synagogue. And look at, look at what it says too. As did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, non-Jews, right? But they worshipped the God they knew. God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. I think that's a funny tag in some ways, but we're going to come back to that comment. Okay, and a few prominent women, and so Paul's preaching; he's is happening. But what occurs is that some Jewish people in the town who saw Paul and this new thing called Christianity, they saw it as a threat, and so some of the more um, you know radical elements decided they were going to kill Paul. And they were going to take him out for preaching the message that he was preaching. And so the disciples, the friends of Paul and Silas, they got word of it. And they said, Paul, we need to get you out of here. They're going to kill you. Paul didn't want to leave. He He was seeing some return on his investment, you know, as he preached. He was seeing people, as it said, come along and join him. He didn't want to go. But his friends were like, they're going to kill you, Paul. We need to get out of here. And so they took Paul down the road a little ways. And we come to Acts 17, 11 through 12. And we read, now this is in Berea. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness. And examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Do you see this? You can be eager to know about Jesus and still pursue to make sure it's the truth. They're not separated. Like I tell you guys many times, don't check your brain at the door when you go in a church. You know, you don't like there's a box here. Check your brain. Go in. We'll sing some mind-numbing songs. We'll listen to Tim Babylon. Then I'll pick my brain up on the way out. (laughs) No, this is life. This is a confrontation with the truth. You think through it. You process it. And then you make a decision. I'm going to doubt those doubts that I had because I've heard something that's impacting my life. And you choose to decide. And so this is what's happening in Berea. They examined the scriptures every day to see if Paul, what Paul was saying was true. Did it line up? As a result, many believed. As did also a number of prominent Greek women. There they are again. And many Greek men. And uh, so this is, yes, hear this scripture this morning because this is what I've prayed for through this whole month. Is that this has been an Acts 17 moment for us. And that is that if we have looked a little more in detail at things. That there is a folding back. A clearing up of some of the questions. So that on Easter Sunday. You can decide to believe. And uh, I want to share three reasons. And there are multiple reasons. But I want to share three reasons. And these are your fill-ins on why we doubt Sometimes the veracity or we doubt the reality of Christ. And I think it's important for us to understand the grid that we pass information through many times. So we just doubt and we don't understand why we don't readily believe or we don't accept. And one of the reasons that we have a problem sometimes with this is because of our family of origin. Our family of origin. And, uh, you know, you come into a church, especially a church like the Vineyard, where we... You know, we put a high value on God the Father, being a loving father, being a wonderful father. But let's be honest, not everybody had that experience in life as far as a father that was loving. Some some of some of you didn't have that. Some of you didn't have a a, a loving, forgiving, gentle, and but strong father. And the first time you hear someone mentioned God or mentioned him as a father, like Jesus talked to him and called him his father, immediately there's a grid of doubt that can come up because we process it through that experience that, you know what, I, that wasn't my experience. And if God is father, he must be like the father I had. And we immediately kind of shut it down because it's just too painful to process. But you know, what I want you to doubt is, I want you to doubt that God the father is like your father. Now he may be in some ways good and beautiful ways, but the father, the heavenly father, is just like no father any of us could ever even have except via Jesus Christ. Even in the Old Testament in Psalms 86, Psalm 86 15, we read, But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And that was, that was our father. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie yet. Uh, I can only imagine uh, Bart Miller, the one who wrote the song. Uh, I can only imagine. Um, it's a story of him and his father. And he had a horrible, horrible childhood. And God did an amazing thing, not only in Bart's life, but also in his father's life. And and uh, there are stories out there. Uh, There was a lady uh, that used to minister to a lot of people that I knew, and she told the story one time of inviting a very stone cold, very together woman business lady uh, to a meeting where the talk was on a loving father, and she knew this lady had not had that experience in her life, and uh, the, the lady had put up these walls around her. Everything had to be perfect and in place and controlled and, and all of this. And so uh, the lady telling the story said she knew it was going to be tough on her. And, and when they were sharing and so the person speaking had everybody stand at the ministry time when they prayed for the love of the Father to come and and to be revealed in a very experiential way. And and this lady said she turned and she looked to her left and Her friend was not there. And she thought, oh, man. She gave up and ran out. You know, she, she bailed. And then she heard something. She looked on the floor. And the lady was on the floor weeping. And just crying because she had realized in that moment that God the Father was not like her father at all. But he was a compassionate, loving, forgiving father. And then the love of God broke through into her life. And met her right where she is. And that's what happens in Christ. And so our family of origin can throw us off. But let me just, let me encourage you. Don't let a crappy childhood cause you to doubt the love of a great father. And a loving father. Doubt that when you feel that come up. Doubt that and ask where is it coming from. And then read and find out who the father is. Listen to others like we did last week of the wonderful, like Tom and the rest of the ones who shared last week about their lives and how God had changed them. Secondly, another reason we doubt, and this is your second fill-in, is Christians acting badly. Christians acting badly. Yeah. It's like, no, I, you know, those, if, if I've got to be like that, I don't want to be one. Um, you know, and I'm not talking about you. It might be the person next to you, but I, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not talking to, to you particularly. It's not, yeah, not you. Uh, you know, don't, don't decide to doubt every Christian claim because we act badly sometimes. To put that screen up because when you reject it and like, well, if that's what God's like, if that's what it's, I'm not gonna. You know, I just want, I want to say to you with all my heart, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us when we have not behaved and we have not had conversations in the way that we should. In reflecting the wonderful generosity and love of God. Forgive us. Forgive the church. Doubt the doubting and look to Jesus. I have to tell you, we're trying. You know, we're... That's why church, that's why we're together. We're together so we can try to get better. So we can try to learn to live this life better. And, and, and I, would, I would encourage you, look, if a Christian is acting badly that has caused your doubt, come on along and help us. Come on and help us. We need the help. I need the help. Come on. And, uh, and walk with us. Walk with us. You know, I'm the father we're trying to we're trying to to look like our father we're trying to look like Jesus and a lot of times we miss it and just forgive us you know i could dwell on this for a while and i want to have a let me break in this for a minute to you christians too we christians when it comes to doubt this is for free right here um I was riding down the road last week and I had a lot of stuff in, on my heart, just kind of weighing down. Am I in the right place here? Is this as you go? Are you guys okay? And, uh, you know, there were a lot of things that just coming at me and coming at me that I really was getting stressed. You know how you feel when you get stressed? You feel that. I don't know if you do like me, but I, I feel this electricity. You know, my adrenaline starts getting pumped, just like paddling out on a big day of surf. You know, I'm just starting getting like this because there's a part of me that's getting nervous and wanting to get through it. And, and uh, it was so overwhelming. I'm on 17 bypass, and all of a sudden, I hear myself say this, this isn't right. <laughs> and what wasn't right was me letting it load up on me. And immediately, immediately when I thought that, my... This picture of Matthew 11, where Jesus is praying to his father, comes to me and Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, you know what a yoke is? Not the yoke, you know, yoke, you put like an oxen, not too many of us own oxen, but you have a yoke that you put two oxen in and you have a lead oxen and they kind of lead the other oxen along. There's one that's leading because they can't fight against each other. One's got to help lead. And so Jesus is giving this picture of like you may be in a yoke where it's very difficult right now. And you're pushing and you're shoving and the yoke of life is so heavy on your neck. It's just bringing blisters up. And you're fighting that leading and you're fighting. And Jesus says, that's not the way I am. Get in the yoke with me. Because my burden is easy. My yoke is light. It's easy. It doesn't chafe. And he says, why in the scripture, let me just read it to you. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it was at that moment in time that I said, okay, I'm sliding out of this yoke, getting out of this yoke right now. I mean, I'm blistered up from carrying it. Let me slide in here with Jesus because, yeah, I still got these things I have to deal with. But there's peace. Okay, Jesus, you lead me along because your burden's light. Now, Christian people, we need to doubt sometimes that doubting of God in our life. We need to doubt the doubting that he's there at times and with us. We need to go back again and again and again to Jesus and to the promises, to the picture of the Father and how wonderful he is. And uh, so... That's just a postscript for you there. And I uh, felt like a, that's for someone here. Third reason that we doubt is we compare ourselves with other people or we compare faith levels. I could never be like that. You know, I could never be like that. I mean, you know, you know why we say that to a lot of people? We really don't know those people. <laughs> we think they, like, don't walk. They just kind of levitate across the ground. You know, <laughs> it's like they have so much faith. <laughs> just go like that and we're like, I can never live like that. I have too much struggle in my life and I have too many things going on and I just couldn't do it. And so we compare our faith levels. We think I don't have enough faith to live like that. Listen, the scripture tells us to each man, each woman is given a measure of faith. You have been given a measure of faith. And that is what you need, and that's all you need. What another person's is, is of no consequence, because God gave you the exact amount you needed. If you will be who you are, and let Jesus lead you, and be with you, you will be the best you you could ever be. Because Jesus has come, and I love this saying, to make us more human, not less. To make us a good human to make us the perfect human and we never get there, but he's working on us to get us there one day, you know? And so he comes to work in us to make us fully human as God always intended. And so, you know, let's just stop comparing ourselves. We really get in a mess, don't we? We start thinking, I wish I was like that person. I wish I was like that person. And God's going, how about me? (laughs) How about you just look at me and go, my burden's easy. My yoke's easy, my burden's light, I'm gentle, I love you. I've given you enough faith to turn to me. Let's go, let's go. And there are reasons to decide too. So one of the reasons to decide is, I mentioned earlier, the women. Women witnesses. I mean, at the grave that morning, who's the first to see? Women. You You might think, well, you know... That's not a big deal, but it is a very big deal. and It's a big deal because women during that culture were, uh, didn't carry a lot of clout. Matter of fact, I got to tell you ladies something. Jesus is the best friend you will ever have. He is more for you and more for liberating you into the gifts that he's given you than anyone who has ever walked this planet. And part of that testimony is right there at the resurrection. Because he trusted the women to stand there and see that he was raised from the dead from the very beginning. They stuck with him through the resurrection. They were there through the crucifixion. They were there at the resurrection. Women in this day and time were their witness. You couldn't go into court. If you had a, if you had a lady to come in and, and testify for you, it was cast out. Listen to some of these comments from this era of time. Sooner let the words of the law. This isn't the Bible now. This is the Talmud. Sooner let the words of the law be burnt than delivered to women this was the culture. The world cannot exist without males and without females. Happy is he whose children are males. And woe to him whose children are females. That's the culture. That was the culture of which the resurrection happened. Now the disciples were trying to come up with some hoax. And some theory to try to you know, start a new religion. They should have got different witnesses. They should have got Nicodemus. They should have got Joseph of Arimathea. They should have got some... I mean, we would go out and go, I'm going to get the most proper person in society and have them testify for me. Wouldn't you? That's what you would do. What well, Jesus goes, no, I'm going, to put the, I'm going to put someone out there and I'm going to use them as witnesses because this is a picture of the kingdom of God. We are all equal and valued by God. And my resurrection shows that. And what does Paul say in Acts 17? He mentions twice that women were included in those who came and believed. And so, I mean, who makes this stuff up? I mean, I, like, who coordinates this in such a way? And I mean, take that into consideration. And so, um, and another thing is we have no tomb. That's your second fill in here. We have no tomb. I mean, if you go there, yeah, they'll show you a tomb. But they don't know that that's the tomb. Why don't we have a tomb? Because there's nobody in the tomb. There never has been. We have no record of the early Christians going to a spot to venerate a body. All the other religions have their leaders and people go to their tombs and they go there to venerate them and to, to worship there and to acknowledge them. We don't have that. Why? Because he's not there. He's not there. There's no veneration of any location and tomb and body. It's just not there. I love N.T. Wright's question. He, he says, just how empty was the tomb on Easter morning? <laughs> It was empty enough to change the world. Empty enough. And the third thing to consider is the effect of the resurrection. The effect of the resurrection. I mean, all of his friends ran off. They thought he was dead. They thought the movement was gone. They left. But something huge happened. Something happened to change Peter from a sniveling coward rejecting Jesus To standing up on the day of Pentecost. And preaching a sermon that saw thousands of people come to believe. Something powerful happened between the crucifixion. And that Sunday morning. Don't decide to doubt the effect that Jesus has had. And his resurrection. On them and down through history. Those the devaluing of women during this period of time. Do you know what the early church did? People would take their baby girls because they wanted a baby boy so much. They would take their newborn baby girls and throw them out on the street to leave them to die of exposure. The early church would go along, pick the babies up, bring them into their home and nurse them back to health. That was was the early church affected by something very powerful What did the church go on to do? Build the first hospitals to care for people. It went on to build the first universities to help people have an education. That is the effect of the resurrection that changed the whole landscape of mankind. Something happened. Don't doubt. Don't doubt the veracity of the effect of the resurrection. Maybe this will help you understand what Jesus has come to do. It's... Do you remember when the Chilean miners got stuck? What was that, 10 years ago or so? They were stuck like almost a half a mile underneath, underneath the ground for you know, 33 miners for something like 68, 69 days. And it got so antsy out there that some of them would start clawing at the roof thinking they could dig out. But there was just too much of a weight over their head for them to dig out. The only way out of that heavy burden was help from above you see our relationship with god the scripture says is broken it's been shattered by sin it's been it's been separated romans 3 23 and the scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god we're all down underneath separated Ephesians 2.12 says, you were separate from Christ without God and without hope in the world. But it says this, Jesus came to rescue us, to reconnect us with God. His perfect life, to His death, and His resurrection, and His ascension back to God is our rescue capsule. Capsule. John 3.16 says what? For God Whosoever believes in Him shall not... What? Not going to stay buried. But will what? (laughs) Have everlasting life. It's only in the capsule that we can be rescued. Only. Acts 4.12 says... Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven... Given to men by which we must save. But there's this promise in Romans 10. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone. And it's God's will that none should perish. None. Not a one of you. Should perish without knowing him. You know it really comes down to this. There's only two choices. You can choose to reject or you can choose to accept. Let's pray.
0: My name is Thomas, and I struggle with doubt. I followed Jesus for years. From the very first day he called me, I saw things so amazing they defied explanation. I believed, but then things fell apart. I witnessed the betrayal that led to the cruel march to Calvary and his agonizing crucifixion. I survived, but everyone I knew scattered. My world collapsed. Then came news of the empty tomb, the very first Easter. But I resisted. The image of his broken, lifeless body was still burned to my memory. I experienced his death. that I couldn't believe. Not until I see the scars with my own eyes and touch them with my own hands, I told the others. I wasn't ready to put my trust in something again. But Jesus came to me. He knew my doubts. He even named them but he wasn't angry. He didn't rebuke me or dismiss me. He looked at me with those familiar eyes and offered me his scarred hands in sight. In that moment, I experienced his resurrection and I believed. I know firsthand it's difficult to believe in what you can't see and yet all around you are people whose lives and stories have scars that bear witness to the meaning of Easter. Yes, these people have been wounded, but they've experienced redemption and healing through Jesus. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were meant to rescue the doubters, the debtors, and the broken, people like you and me. He met my doubts with grace and love, and he only asked one thing of me believe.
1: Do you believe? One thing, he asked. Do you believe? Father, right now in this place, change lives. I pray that at this very moment, people are seeing the capsule that those Chilean miners were saved in drop down in front of them, hidden in the cross of Christ, brought out to new life through the resurrection. And Father, make yourself known now as people say yes to you now. And Lord, those of us who are at a place of doubting, a place of struggle and wondering about your goodness, would you come and assure us so that we can doubt those doubts of your goodness and decide, Lord, to lean into you and trust you whom we have trusted so many times before. Choose to lay into your arms and to trust you in the yoke of being connected with you as you lead us in this life, as you bring your gentleness and your humility and your peace to us, Lord.
0: Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.